0: Hello and welcome back to the Truth Be Told podcast. I'm Shabs And I'm Sheddy. So who else is waiting for Stranger Things?
1: I think you're going to be waiting a bit longer than October.
0: When's it coming out?
1: I'm not sure. And Quite a few people have been upset because um, I work with a few people that said Stranger Things was supposed to be out in October.
0: Yeah,
1: for Halloween. I actually didn't know it was going to be out then, you know. You'd think I'd follow it a lot better than that.
0: Well, it was the last two seasons. I think they coincide with Halloween.
1: Yeah, I wonder why they're dragging it on, though. I wonder why that's happened.
0: I hope this is not the last season, and this is why.
1: No, I think I'm not sure. I think with um, it's a Netflix original, isn't it? Yeah. If if they're behind it and it's doing well, I think they'd they'd fund more to be done. But it, you know, I can normally TV series can go on for a fair bit and then. I think I don't think three three theories is no. is a lot.
0: I hope to do about five. I think if to do more than that, then it may get a bit stale. I'll be
1: honest. If you go past about seven, it starts to get stale.
0: No, I think five's okay. Mm. I don't know why. I think five would be good. Mm. Um, but I've been re-watching the, the last two in preparation So now it's not coming out in October, I'm gutted I'll,
1: I'll be honest with you, I was a bit like that with Game of Thrones I can't wait any longer now, I'm getting fed up, i waiting for it to come out I've
0: not even seen one episode of Game of Thrones It's
1: okay, you might as well watch it when they've completed the next one then
0: I am watching Ertugel though, the Turkish Game of Thrones It has a hundred and something episodes It's never. actually quite good
1: I've never heard of it in my life
0: <laughs> it, It's on um, Netflix as well the resurrection,
1: Etrigal. Just going back on um, TV series that end up being dragging on for many series, Dexter was a bit like that. I mean, I absolutely yeah. love Dexter. And for the moment I started watching it, I was just telling everybody about it, saying, you need to watch it, it's fantastic. Yeah. But it came a point where even after the seventh series, it started to kind of lose, you yeah. know, I think it does come to a natural end, doesn't it, really? You need to let it come to a natural end.
0: Yeah, because then all the storylines... They just get boring, and then you just wish you didn't watch it, and that ruins the
1: whole series. Well, that brings us up to um, our episode today. I've been planning to um, record this for a while, and it's... um, I shouldn't say it's one of my favourites, because it sounds really (laughs) strange when we say it's one of our favourites, but it's certainly um, a a murder, or a murderer, I should say, um, that I've followed for a while, and I've, I've watched a lot of stuff on Overtime about, as well as reading... A book on it it's um, Dr Harold Shipman and um, I think we decided looking at the level of information that's actually out there it might actually be better to split it into two parts yeah Um, so I think what we're going to focus on for this first episode will be the early life of Harold Shipman part of it to do with his family life and his um, the younger years of his life going through school up until when he's ready to um, go to medical school mm-hmm. and then f- have a separate focus in part two on when he actually became a GP and his life thereafter.
0: And the killings.
1: And, yeah, of co- <laughs> well, of course, that, that includes the killings. Um, <laughs> but I think so certainly for the second episode, it'll be really interesting. I think we are going to have a guest back on the show. Uh, to talk about a bit about, and we can question a bit about how practices might have changed due to um, the instances of what happened with Harold Shipman and why it wasn't it, it went unnoticed for such a long time, really.
0: Well, it's interesting because this is our second one in mm-hmm. the UK where it's healthcare professionals. I don't if going back to an earlier podcast we did Beverly Aylott, yeah, the Angel of Death, and she was a nurse in the UK. Can't just be a UK thing. We'll need to see if there's any. We, we've, we've mentioned
1: well. this before and we we have talked a bit about um how maybe the constraints on how much money the funding that goes into a nursing in terms of the number of staff you can have to who can, who can be vigilant and and yeah. follow procedure and that becomes an issue when you don't have the relevant number of staff on who can yeah. who can do that you know
0: but also you're in a position of trust and people don't Mm -hmm. expect
1: you to do it. No, no, they don't, certainly not. Okay, so uh, I think it'd be a good time to start, really, should we have a look at that? Yeah.
0: Episode 5, Part 1, the story of Dr. Death.
1: Harold Frederick Shipman was born on the 14th of January, 1946, on the Bestwood Council estate in Nottingham, England. He was the second of four children of Harold Frederick Shipman, a lorry driver, and Vera Britton. Fred was a baby that was celebrated at the time of his birth, was eight months after VE Day. There was a sudden surge in the population at the time, as many young couples were eager to start families, making up lost time, or in the war years due to large periods of separation. Vera was 18 when she married Harold, who was 5 years her senior, in 1937. She was working at the time as a printer's assistant. Both Harold and Vera were from a working-class background. Vera was the main source of discipline within the home, and this was done as a manner of expectation, overhitting the children. The children did not like disappointing their mother, especially her favourite, Fred. The household was run in a traditional sense at the time, as not many women worked, but instead were homemakers. Fred's father would be the main source of income to the family whereas the mother would be in charge of keeping the house in order. Money was tight so the children were not spoiled with treats and presents at an early age. It would seem that the family had a strong bond between siblings and parents and there were not many clues to why Fred would go off the rails later on in life. Vera allowed the children to spend time on the estate to play with other children, although this was not often. She brought them up to believe that they were better than other children on the estate. The family was described as insular and did not seem to want to join with various gangs on the estate in their childhood. It was common in the 1950s for children during their summer holidays to spend large parts of their time outdoors playing Fred was not called on to come out but when he did go out he would hang around with the local boys on the estate he was not what boys on the estate deemed to be a regular boy he seemed far clever for his age Fred's education began first with Burford's Infant School which was a short walk from where he lived Early photos show that Fred would arrive to school in a bow tie whereas other pupils would arrive in a far more informal manner. The idea from his mother that he be dressed smartly, this would be the standard for Fred throughout his whole life. The junior school that was closest to the estate did not have the provisions to accommodate the number of children. On the estate with a large post-war population increase. Therefore, Fred would have a two-mile journey to Whitemore Junior School daily. He had started there at the age of eight, which was Whitemore's second year. This was due to Fred spending an extra year at Burford infant school and then joining pupils at Whitemore who had already been there for a year. A compromise that had been made by Nottingham's Education Authority at the time. Fred was not on the football team in his year, but would instead be on the stoolball team. This was a game that was unique to Nottingham. It involved a large paddle and was a mixture of both cricket and rounders. Whitemore topped the school's league. In 1957, Fred would enter high pavement. Which was a grammar school less than a mile from the shipman's home. He went from being the brightest pupil in junior school to the standard run of the mill in a school which had many pupils that were above average academically. This is still quite common in today in schools that are selective. Fred's schoolwork was the most important at home. It was what his mother was most proud of. With his sister Pauline leaving school at the age of 15 and his brother not managing to get a place in high pavement, Vera would dote on her son Fred for his accomplishments. After passing with five GCEs, Fred would continue to sixth form where he gained two more. He made his largest contribution in sports at the school. He was a part of the rugby team as a fly half and then as a centre or wing. He also excelled at distant running and was the school's vice captain in his final year. Vera Shipman died towards the end of Fred's first year at sixth form. He was 17 and a half at the time. She was dying over a long period of time and such services like Macmillan's did not exist at the time, so the emotional stress of knowing and the support provided with this was not available to the family. So ease of death would not be available. With the use of morphine to reduce the pain and suffering, this of course would have been quite difficult for the family, as the once strong-headed housekeeper was reduced to a mere shadow of herself. Many readjustments had to be made due to the way things were run at home originally Vera was always considered to be slim but over the course of the illness she became emaciated gaunt and debilitated putting all her energy into coping with her pain it was the thought of seeing Fred after school each day that kept her positive but as things began to worsen for her she would not even have the energy to sit up Pauline who at the time was 25 and Fred's dad were at work so the looking after his mother became Fred's duty whenever he was home finally the time came on a Friday afternoon that Vera's suffering would come to an end she died living up until both her sons were home to say their goodbyes it was a harrowing weekend for Fred He spent it running around the playing fields to exhaust himself physically to compensate for his mental exhaustion. As was the way of the Shipmans, emotions were held close to himself and Fred would continue with school on Monday. Fred Shipman failed to gain the grades that he needed to get himself into Leeds University Medical School at his first attempt in the summer of 1964. He took his A-level resets in November 1964 and took the rest of the school year off so that he could wait to start medical school in 1965. Fred first met his wife-to-be, Primrose, on the number 38 West Yorkshire Road car-red double-decker bus. It was Primrose who caught Fred's eyes. It took a good few journeys over the course of many weeks before a conversation would even start between them. Firstly, exchanging shy smiles, then the odd conversation, followed by more chatting and finally a date. Friends of Primrose watched with joy as it was the first boyfriend that Primrose had. It was towards the end of the first year of academic study that Primrose became pregnant. It was not considered good at the time and was frowned upon, with Fred and Primrose not yet wed. There was no choice at the time but to keep the baby. She first shared the news of her pregnancy with Pauline North, one of Primrose's long serving friends from her journeys on the buses. When the time came, the news was broken to both families and they were both horrified Fred's father was particularly glad that Vera was not alive to witness the mess her favourite son had made of his life Primrose's mother Edna and father George were shaken to the core and friends to this day state that it was a thing that broke Edna's heart for having an unmarried pregnant daughter at the time was unimaginable Fred and Primrose married on November 5th, 1966. Fred graduated from Leeds School of Medicine in 1970. He started work at Pontefract General Infirmary in Pontefract, West Riding of Yorkshire. He took up his first position in 1974 as a general practitioner at the Abraham Ormerod Medical Centre in Todmorden, West Yorkshire. In the following year, he was caught forging prescriptions of Pesadine for his own use. He was fined £600 and briefly attended a drug rehabilitation clinic in York. The addiction to Pesadine began whilst he was at Pontefract General Infirmary whilst he was in Obzangaini. Pesadine is an opiate analgesic which has properties similar to that of morphine. It was made in the 1930s and was hailed as a wonder drug at the time because it was believed that pethidine had no addictive properties. Even after the discovery that it can be a substance of abuse, to this day it is still used as a painkiller during childbirth. Midwives, who had access to it, would take it for aches and pains as they were of the belief at the time that it was not an addictive substance, but soon became addicted to it. Hospital staff at the time said that it would have been easy for Shipman to administer larger doses than necessary for patients in his care. By injecting the patients himself, nursing staff would have been grateful and saw Fred as a kind, helpful doctor. He became a GP at the Donnybrook Medical Centre in Hyde near Manchester in 1977. Little was known that prior to this appointment, the number of victims that Fred had already racked up.
0: Thank you for listening to part one. Stay tuned for part two in the next couple of weeks uh, of the Harold Shipman story.